Okay, so hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of Default Global. This is where we connect with global first entrepreneurs and remote work experts from all around the world to share their experiences. Our guest today is Shelby Wolpa, a founder at Shelby Wolpa Consulting. Shelby, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, Shelby, as someone who has uh, deeply, who has been deeply involved in remote work and global hiring, we're eager to learn more about your personal story. How did you find your path in this field and what inspired you to start Shelby Wolpa Consulting? Mm, thanks for asking. Yeah, so I have a long history as a people leader at four different high growth tech companies. So kind of starting back uh, in the early 2000s, uh, was at a little startup called Palantir that ended up growing into a multi-billion dollar company um, and then went on to scale people operations at three more tech companies. And all of these organizations were either globally distributed around the world or distributed around the US. Um, so it was always my job to think about, you know, how do we create global culture um, you know, where, where we have people in different states or different countries around the world. Um, but my fourth company was a company called Envision, which was one of the leaders in fully remote work uh, years before the pandemic. Uh, and so had the honor of working there for many years as we scaled the organization to 800 people living in 30 countries around the world and 40 states across the U.S., but there were no offices um, then the pandemic happened, uh, and the whole world went remote, you know, was forced to go remote. Um, and everyone was scrambling executives, HR people like me, uh, you know, remote workers, uh, everyone was trying to figure out how to do this. And so I saw an opportunity to help lots and lots of companies take the learnings that I had from Envision and my prior global organizations and help as many startups as I could. Uh, so, yeah, coming up on three years of having my own consulting company where I'm advising mostly series A, B and C companies on global hiring and globally distributed work. And let's talk about that a bit. So you have advised a bunch of CEOs, people, leaders, venture capital firms on scaling their people functions, right, and creating those world-class cultures. So can you can you tell us a bit more about how exactly your, your company helps startups and VC funds be more successful? Sure. Um, yep. So I take an end-to-end -end approach with the strategy, uh, working with leadership teams and people teams on their, on their roadmap. Um, so say I come into a series A company that's between 50 to 100 employees, um, they likely have some people and culture infrastructure in place, but not much. Uh, and they are getting ready to scale to a new phase of growth. So often what we do is build out a roadmap for what their people team needs to look like to support this growth their tech stack, uh, both the HR tech stack, but also the kind of distributed work tech stack, um, as well as the different people programs that need to be put in place, um, such as, you know, what onboarding is needed to bring in all these new workers onto your team, uh, what support is needed for managers to lead effective teams, uh, what you know, goal setting needs to be put in place and so on. So it's, we really, you know, look end to end on kind of what 
the current state looks like and what the next few quarters need to look like as far as budget and planning. Okay, sounds cool. Um, and you mentioned uh, about your previous experience. So while you were um, VP of People Operations, right, at Envision, you said that you supported companies growth uh, up to 800 employees from 200, right? So That's right. And just you also mentioned that all working remotely across 30 countries, right? So so I'm just curious, what were some of these uh, challenges you faced in building a fully distributed team across 30 countries on that scale? <laughs> so many challenges. <laughs> Can I imagine? Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, gosh, uh, you know, one one thing that comes to mind was you know thinking about our global hiring strategy. Um, so you know although we had people in thirty countries, there was a lot of intention behind you know, where we set up full entities in countries versus where we used global EORs and then where we had independent contractors. So you know different employment classifications across. Um, different countries for a number of different reasons. Um, and myself and so kind of me representing the HR side of the house, I would partner very closely with our legal teams and our finance teams and the business leaders to think about kind of where does it make sense from a business standpoint? Where do we want to set up like a full-on entity to grow kind of sales and revenue in that country? Um, where might we, you know, want to test out a new market for talent with mm -hmm. an EOR, you know, and where might we make it, where might it make the most sense to have independent contractors? So mm -hmm. that, that's one of many uh, mm -hmm. challenges. Got it. And just to clarify, back then, Deal, such companies, Deal, Oyster, they, they were not existed, right? Back then, This right? kind of new phase of EORs did not exist. Um, it was more of the traditional providers, um, that had very different pricing models and very different employee experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And speaking about those 30 countries, I'm just curious, how did you decide which countries to recruit from, right? Did you have any kind of guidelines or rules or anything like that? Yeah, we did. We did. And it was an evolving strategy. And it was something that we revisited about every six months of kind of where you know, where are our kind of green, yellow, red countries, because not all countries are created equal when it comes to employment. And, um, and there was a lot more that went into it, besides just kind of where is the best talent. Um, like I mentioned, from a sales and revenue perspective, we would think about, um, you know, our, we would partner with our sales leader to think about, you know, where do we want to put down roots to set send a signal to, to that market that we were serious about expanding in their, in their region of the world. Um, and by establishing an entity, entity kind of gave us more legitimacy in that market, plus gave the, the talent that we were hiring there more confidence that we were serious about their employment in that country, um, you know, versus kind of the potential risk of just bringing on an independent contractor. Got it. Okay. So, and uh, do you have, based on your experience, do you have any practical advice for a company wanting to uh, recruit international tech talent? Where should they start? I mean, should they have some kind of checklist or, I don't know, can you talk more about it? Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, 
I am a huge fan of globally distributed work. So I'm all about, you know, hiring the best talent wherever they are. Um, and, you know, the world is our oyster now of, of where we can, you know, work with wonderful people around the world. Um, but if you just go and hire anyone anywhere and you end up having, you know, one or two people in so many different countries, it can create what I call HR debt or, you know, similar to tech debt, um, it can create a lot of compliance challenges uh, because each country is so unique. And, you know, the global EORs are a wonderful help with this because they can take away a lot of the learning curve for each country and kind of what's a competitive employment offer and a benefit package. Like they're wonderful in helping with this. Um, but I still don't think you should just, you know, hire wildly in, in so many countries because um, it can just quickly get away from you. You know, if you are a wildly successful company, which I hope everyone listening is, you know, their companies are wildly successful, um, you're just creating a lot of admin and compliance complexity um, that, you know, could be avoided. So I think you should hire great talent around the world, but be a bit intentional with the countries that you're choosing you know, working with recruiters that can be targeted in the countries that they're sourcing from, you know, and that can be a list of 15 countries. Um, but 15 is a lot better to manage than 40 or 70. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, and could you could you maybe talk a bit about could you tell us what, what qualities you look for in global candidates? Did you have any additional requirements, let's call it like that, for candidates who are based outside of the U.S.? Mm. Well, you know, one, one thing that we did at Envision is that although we were a globally distributed company, we worked somewhat synchronously. So I'm sure your listeners are familiar with the term kind of synchronous versus asynchronous work, and that's a cultural decision that companies need to make. Uh, but we were we were synchronous in the sense that we had kind of a, a shortened office hour requirement that there were certain hours in the day when the, the majority of company meetings would occur, where we expected attendance in those meetings, such as company all hands, you know, one on ones with your manager, team meetings, department meetings, etc. Um, and so when people were choosing to join Envision, they were opting in to be available during those core hours. And that just wasn't, you know, a, a lifestyle choice some people would want to make. Um, it was particularly hard for the time zones in Asia and Australia, for example. So we, you know, found it challenging uh, to collaborate well with teams in that region. Mm -hmm. In like a 30 countries, that's, 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 a lot, right? So ha have you noticed any significant cultural differences when hiring and working with people from various countries internationally, right? C could you provide maybe some one or two examples? Mm. I don't know if I have a good answer for that. <laughs> okay. Okay. No problem. In uh, speaking about remote first culture itself, right? So in your experience, uh, you, in your experience in in, at, at Envision, right? You, you mentioned that feeling closer to your coworkers, even those you, you have never met in them in person, compared to, to when you, you worked kind of in a traditional office setting, right? So how, how do you how do you foster a sense of connection among your remote team members? Can you talk more about it? 
Sure. Yeah, I I'm a firm believer that you know, the fact that you are kind of getting a window into my, this is my guest room in my, in my home in Austin, Texas. Um, you're getting a small window into like the real me. Um, and I, I find that just, I am like a more relaxed version of myself when I'm working remotely, um, like little bits of my home and my life will pass by the door and, and come in and, and it just kind of opens us up to bring our whole selves to work. Um, so I, I've just been, I just find a lot of joy in that, that, you know, for years and years that I worked in an office, my coworkers, I put on kind of a, the Shelby working mask, you know, and was kind of a different version of myself in the office than I am kind of relaxed at home. Um, but as far as, you know, creating connection for remote first companies, um, there's a lot you can do. Um, I, I love some of the the tools that are available to create spon you know spontaneous connections or you know quick coffee chats with people that you wouldn't normally run into. Um, I love some of my clients do things where people bring their special talents and teach kind of like an internal masterclass of sorts where you know you're getting to learn that you know your coworkers have musical talent or are a master at solving a Rubik's cube or a cooking class, like things that you never would have known about them otherwise, but you're in their home and learning from them and kind of a day in their life. Um, you know, just like you, Vit, you're in the Ukraine and kind of kind of experiencing what you're experiencing there. And because you're there, it's like we the conversation just more naturally opens up to me to to learn about you and create like kind of more empathy and connection for you and your life. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and but still, what are some maybe essential elements of a remote first culture that companies should should focus on? Mm, okay, well, this is huge for me. This is kind of the the foundational question, mm -hmm. um, and kind of the work I do with all of my remote first clients, which is starting from the bottom of kind of defining your culture. Um, in you know, one of the things I like to say a lot is. It's if it's not written down, it doesn't exist in a remote first culture. Um, so I'm huge on documentation. So, you know, one of my favorite projects to work on with clients is what I call a culture book, where we work with the employees and, you know, every level of the organization to actually document, you know, what are our company mission, vision, values, but how do those values show up every day? And what are our norms and expectations of people and how they work? You know, the, the example I used about core operating hours earlier, um, but, you know, tons of norms and expectations that when you're in an office, you can just sort of walk around and see and observe. Um, but it takes much more intention and, and much more design to be successful in a remote first environment. Um, so once you kind of set that kind of cultural norms and expectations, then we start working on like how work gets done. So how are we going to set goals and measure work? Um, so a lot of series A and B companies aren't so great at setting goals. Uh, and so it's a muscle that those organizations have to learn. So uh, working with them on kind of what is our goal setting process? How will we document our goals? Like what tool might we use to measure our goals? Um, then comes performance management. So, you know, what, 
systems are we putting in place so that people are getting regular feedback, uh, continuous feedback, and so that we're building high performing organizations. Um, and then kind of the top, the tippy top of uh, the work is kind of the tool stack. So I, I've mentioned tools along the way. Um, but to me, remote first companies cannot operate without like a very solid intentional tool stack in that everyone is kind of organized around what are the centralized tools that we use to communicate, share updates, provide feedback and, and communicate. And uh, I totally agree with you that for a remote first company, it's essential to document basically everything. You have, you should have a lot of guides, um, a lot of like uh, manuals and so on. And that's that's exactly what I'm doing in my company because I have like a teams in like a 10 plus countries, right? But uh, the biggest challenge for me at this point is to make sure that everyone follows those guides and they can, you know, find them and learn from them because it seems that, yeah, we have them in place, right? But it seems like nobody is reading them. <laughs> so can you, mm. can you talk more about this? How, how do you solve this problem? Mm. <clears throat> well, yeah. In, in, so what I refer to as internal communications is so important for remote first teams. In, in my experience, usually companies are much larger before they have someone, a team dedicated to internal comms or, you know, a resource. And I think, you know, it should be part of someone's job or an entire job to be focused on that at remote first companies. Um, and it can sit in various departments. It can sit in the people team. It can sit in the kind of office of the CEO. It can, you know, it, it can float around, but, and I, I don't really care too much about where, where it sits as long as it's part of somebody's job. Um, at Envision, we were lucky enough to have um, two full-time designers on our team. Envision was a design company. So we, you know, invested heavily in design and employee experience for the company. Um, but, you know, their job was to think about designing great employee experiences and make sure that our communication and our documentation was really strong. Um, they owned our onboarding experience and many other kind of learning and development experiences across the company. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. And you talked a lot about uh, tools, right? So, what what are some essential tools and systems that companies should have in place to support as a highly engaged and productive remote workforce? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Well, some of my must-have tools are first is that that kind of knowledge base intranet that we've talked about. Um, so, you know, a a centralized place for where all of these norms are written down. You know, most companies refer to this as an intranet. Um, some example intranet tools that you can use are Notion or Guru or Confluence. Um, you know, most of my companies already have one of those in place, but maybe not all departments are using it. And so one of the you know, goals is to consolidate under one platform and make the, the knowledge base really organized and straightforward. Uh, the second tool I would say is for project management. So again, one tool used by the company such as Asana or Trello or Monday 
Um, you know, my clients use a wide range of project management tools, but I care that everyone's using the same tool. So that status updates and project updates are, you know, done asynchronously and managers can know what's happening across their teams without having to go and ask and slow, slow the company down uh, on their progress. Um, and then finally, my there, there's lots of tools, but I think my top three, my top third would be a tool for goal setting and performance management. So a tool where everyone's goals are centralized and a mechanism for providing continuous feedback and more formal performance reviews um, so that managers and employees just have all that data at their fingertips um, to kind of know what their career goal, goals are, how they're tracking and you know, getting constant um, feedback and iterating on that. Okay. Okay. So, and, and finally, let, let's talk a bit about the future of remote work, right? So um, do you believe that the majority of knowledge-based workers will be working remotely in the coming years? And what are some maybe of the trends and shifts you anticipate in, in this space? Mm, yeah, I, I'm, I've, you know, drank the Kool-Aid. I'm a huge <laughs> believer mm -hmm. in remote mm -hmm. work. I think, uh, it's, you know, changed my life and millions of other people's lives, you know, the, the ability to work for companies that you wouldn't otherwise work for, um, and do the best work of your career, but have, you know, great work-life integration and, you know, get time to do the things you enjoy outside of work. So I, I think it's the future. I think it's remote work is not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, yeah, and I'm excited about it. Okay, sounds good. Um, so I guess I guess we're good. So thanks a lot, Shelby, for sharing your insights on international hiring, on remote first culture. Uh, yeah, we wish you all the best in your journey. I appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Thanks, Vit. This is great.